0: Welcome to the Frontline Founders Podcast. Today, our guest is Robert Johnston, the CEO and founder of AdLumen, a cybersecurity technology firm that focuses on revolutionizing the way that financial institutions secure sensitive data and intellectual property and achieve compliance objectives through its security and compliance automation platform. Before he founded AdLumen, Robert worked in the private sector as a principal consultant for CrowdStrike. He's an expert at conducting counter espionage engagements against nation state, criminal, and hacktivist organizations across a variety of industries and sectors. Earlier in his career, Robert served as an officer in the United States Marine Corps, including assignments as team lead for a national cyber protection team and as director of the Marine Corps Red Team. He holds an MBA from Georgetown and an undergraduate degree from the United States Naval Academy. Robert, welcome to Frontline Founders, a podcast miniseries that showcases military veterans who've gone on to success as founders and builders of technology companies.
1: Great, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited about
0: this uh, new venture of yours. Great, thanks Robert. Let's start briefly before we trace back to your military service and, and, and then go forward from there with what do you do today as the CEO of AdLumen in your own words?
1: Uh, you know, that's a great question because that job description changes a lot as the company changes over time, right? In the very beginning, I will tell you, I was writing a lot of code, trying to get build a product that people actually wanted to buy. Today, I, I think my role um, has become more uh, capital allocation. You know, what, from a strategic perspective, are we going to be investing in? Whether that's investing in a certain strategy, like as you know, we invested significantly in a channel go-to-market strategy. Uh, you know, and that was a decision that that was at my level, right? Um, and so, I, I there aren't there aren't exactly like a machine gun amount of these decisions that need to be made, but deciding to you know where you're going to allocate the entire company's resources is probably the most significant. Part of my job description uh, that I
0: that I have today. Great, and 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 briefly, we covered it in the intro in about one sentence. But but could you briefly describe before we trace back through the your history what it is that that Lumen does?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Lumen has built a you know completely cloud native security and compliance automation platform built specifically for uh, financial institutions. For those that don't know what security and compliance automation, there's, you know, all these different security technologies, SIEM technology, which, you know, aggregates a bunch of event data together. You have the automated orchestration and response, so that's stopping the bad guys in their tracks. And then you have kind of this extended detection and response capability that allows you to use all these different cloud technologies to, you know, look back and, you know, see what happened like a year ago uh, across your your enterprise network, which is a pretty powerful uh, capability,
0: great, great. That's that. That's thank you for for sharing that with us, Robert. Let's let's take it back a ways. Could could you talk to us briefly about where where you grew up and and what was that call to to serve? If if I understand it right, you have been you 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 first served when you were uh, at at the the Naval Academy. What what was that decision to to go to the Naval Academy and then to uh, to become a Marine? When one graduates the Naval Academy, you have a option between going into the Navy or um, Marine Corps as as your, your service time. I grew up on
1: the east coast of Florida in a small town called Satellite Beach, Florida. And and along the east coast of Florida, there's a lot of these little towns, you know, most notably Cape Canaveral is the, the town like just a little bit north of mine on the beach. That's where, you know, they launched the space shuttle and rockets and all of that stuff. So uh, I grew up on the space coast barrier island called the space coast. And, uh, that's where I went to school and, and, and grew up there. My, you know, come senior year of high school, you know, my, my parents, you know, my call to serve, I would like to say it was my own decision, but there were certainly things throughout my life that shaped that decision. I think it would be naive to, to think that wasn't the case. A significant one is my dad was Marine. He was a Marine for 30, you know, 35 years he was in the Marine Corps. Uh, my mom was also a Marine. Uh, you know, she was in the Marine Corps for like 13 years or 15 years or something like that. And that's where they met. That's where my, my father met my mom. And, and so I grew up, you know, seeing my dad in the reserves, he was in the Marine Corps reserves at the time. Um, you know, I grew up seeing him like getting his uniforms ready, you know, doing pull-ups on the pull-up bar getting ready for the pft like uh you know doing all of these things and he never pressured me to to join the military he never pressured me to to do anything but i do remember specifically my senior year of high school i went on like this military kick right and i you know i I don't know what it was my parents never even asked me if i had applied to college you know uh i just kind of like woke up one day and and you know, looked at my friends and was like, holy smokes, I think I better start applying to like some universities. So I did, I started applying to some colleges, but I went on a little, you know, I, I applied to the standard stuff. You would call it the standard stuff in Florida, like UCF, which was right there in Orlando. A lot of, you know, my friends growing up go to Florida state schools and things like that. But I, I did go on a military kick. I, I applied to places like the Citadel, VMI, uh, and the Naval Academy. And I, I went to the Citadel and I took a tour of the Citadel. And I went to VMI, and I took a tour of VMI. And then you go to the Naval Academy. When you're at the Naval Academy, it, it, that, it's it's a type of school that really has a way of capturing you, right? And and capturing, I think, your imagination. Now, when you actually get there, your image certainly changes, just like anything else in life uh, when you're going through the experience of the Naval Academy. But I will say that you, when I showed up to the Naval Academy and I saw all the midshipmen running around in their, you know, in their white uniforms, looking very busy, looking very professional, like, like, you know, warriors to be, it, it has a way of capturing, I think a young man or woman's imagination where they say, you know, yeah, this is where I can see myself. And so, right. Right. uh, it was, you know, it was that decision when my dad took me there, my dad took me there and, uh, you know, took, took me on a tour and I met the wrestling coach and,
0: all these things, and and that was it, you know. That was it for me. That was it, right? And 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 what drew you to? You said both your parents served as 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 Marines, so um, you joined. Uh, you you became a Marine officer as opposed to a a Navy officer. Um, this was at a time where cybersecurity was something that was was known to 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 many, but maybe before there was in occupational specialty uh, a job uh, dedicated to cybersecurity so could you trace for us you know R- Robert through t- take us briefly if you can through through making that decision to become a marine and, instead of a, a navy officer and then how you wound up in these really compelling and important roles as a young marine officer
1: the Naval Academy is unlike other universities where you have to, you're forced to, because of the way they do the curriculum, you're forced to pick your major really early, you know, and not, not, and not every university, you, you may get to your junior year and you don't really know yet what you want to do, but you don't have that luxury at the Naval Academy. You have to declare a major, you know, uh, for second semester, freshman year, I believe. So just, you know, you did one semester and then you have to declare what your major is going to be. And I remember taking a look at my options. And the Naval Academy has quite a lot of options, everything from, you know, aeronautical, aerospace engineering, physics. They've got history, you know, naval history, English, uh, you know, humanities type type majors. And I remember being pretty, uh, a little bit pragmatic about it. You know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I took a look at, you know, hu- the humanity side, like political science and not that there's anything wrong with those but when I took a look at them I was like uh, you know I'm not sure this Marine Corps thing was a career thing for my family and my parents but it wasn't it may not necessarily be that for me so I, I feel like I should be studying something that you know has some kind of you know high marketable attributes out in the in the private sector if I ever decide uh, that you know I wasn't very forward thinking as an 18 year old but that I will tell you is one time that I maybe was actually, uh, forward thinking as an 18-year-old was when I made that decision to to get a degree in IT, information technology, right, which is what they right. kind of called computer science there. You know, going through the Naval Academy, you know, I'm, I'm in this computer science degree, which I actually didn't really like at first. It was just a lot of programming. It seemed a lot of like kind of useless programming. But around that time, too, as you get more mature in that major, you get to choose electives. Um, and they had a lot of security electives. You know, being geographically that close to the national security agency the computer science department at the naval academy actually had you know a pretty good relationship with some of the shops over there at at the nsa and so we would get to do things like exciting exercises with them or uh you know they would come and talk to us about some of the things that they were doing and that seemed really uh you know really exciting so i started participating in all of these clubs you know they, they had this comp. Now it's actually a really serious competition with a big, huge trophy and everything. Uh, but but back in when in two thousand eight, two thousand seven, it, it was just kind of like this small. It was hard, almost hard to put together a team to compete in this uh, competition called Cyber Defense Exercise, which is mm-hmm. you know all the service academies and at that time the graduate schools for the service academies would put together a team. The NSA would put together a red team, and then the NSA red team would hack your network. And you would you would do it for score? You do it for competition. Wow.
0: And I, yeah. I kind
1: of I fell in love wow. with security at that point. You know, I, right. I realized that that's what I wanted to do. And the reason I spoke about that first before service selection is because that that love for you know cybersecurity started there, and that shaped actually I would call it my service selection when I, right. what I decided to choose. And I was a little pragmatic about that, too. Of course, I had an affinity for the Marine Corps because my parents were Marine Corps. You know, there are no bad options, right, Uh, I I feel like. You know, um, there's a lot of, you know, bravado in certain segments. But really, in the Naval Academy, when it comes to service selection, like, there are no bad options. And I did. I took a look at, uh, you know, would I want to go SWO? I took a look at pilot. Now, I do have bad eyes. So pilot was kind of one of those things that wasn't – you know, I don't have perfect 2020 vision, which you need to go in as a pilot. So that was, you know, kind of not really on the table for me. I took a look at subs. You know, I thought subs was pretty interesting. I thought, you know, maybe I would like to do submarines and, you know, go swim around underwater and spy on people, uh, which is, you know, kind of at least my image or my thought of what they, of what they did. Uh, and so I, I actually ended up that, that kind of love or affinity to cybersecurity Made me actually try and do an inner service transfer as my number one option. I'm being completely transparent. I tried to go into the Air Force. Just at that time, they had stood up the 8th Air Force under General Elder. I met him at a dinner many years later, and I got an opportunity to say, "Hey, General Elder, you know, I remember you, <laughs> commander of 8th Air Force. You stood up the first cyber wing in the Air Force in 2008. You know, you were an inspiration, really, for how I painted my, you know, projected my whole career." And so uh, that didn't work out. Inter-service transfers are extremely hard at the Naval Academy or any Academy, not just the Naval Academy, very big, long shot. And so I uh, decided to go into the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, uh, of course, my parents were Marines. And so it was kind of, you know, well, if that's not going to work out, this is still a great fit. Right. Or this isn't a bad option. This is still a great fit. And the Marine Corps. You know, in the Navy, you could only choose like seven jobs or eight jobs. You know, it's like subs, pilot, you know, SEALs, EOD, SWO, these kinds of jobs. In the in the Marine Corps, it's like you would service select Marine Corps. But then once you got into the Marine Corps, you had, you know, 25, 35 different jobs you could right. choose from as an MOS in the Marine Corps. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go in the Marine Corps. And then I have I have another, you know, 25, 35 jobs that I can that I can choose to do and spend my time in the Marine Corps, and so that's you know why I ended up service selecting. You know, in short, my parents were you know Marines, so it made sense. And the options that you had once you got in, there was a lot more of them.
0: Right, and 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 Robert, what what time frame was this when you were making these decisions? And while certainly being at the Naval Academy with the National Security Agency right next door. These sorts of competitions um, in computer science and, and hacking were were maybe second nature, but for the rest of the world, um, it was still pretty early days for the what has become so clear to to everyone these days the importance of defending um, what is digital because it can affect your entire operation both digitally and and physically. so what what year was this Robert and and then talk through please what um, a couple of your assignments in, in in the Marine Corps is as as much as you you'd feel comfortable doing um, and, and then would love to, to get into crowdstrike and and add lumen of course but um, and your decision to become an entrepreneur. but what what year are we in here and, and then a couple of the marine Corps assignments?
1: Yeah. So this is, you know, I graduated in 2008 and you're right, like cybersecurity wasn't even really a thing in 2008. It wasn't this thing that anyone talked about. This is 2007, 2008, like there wasn't hacks and ransomware attacks and all these things on the news every day. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't find, some. Uh, you know, you'd be lucky to find like an online article about it. Right. Um, but, you know, things have obviously changed uh, a lot more. So this is in 2008. And really it was that participating in those, clubs and in those competitions that that made me kind of choose, uh, you know, that route. And so in 2008, you know, you have to service select junior year first at the end of your first semester junior year. You have to put in your, you know, like anything else in the military, they give you a list and you you start at the one you want the most. And then you go to the one you want the least and you got to list them all. Right. And then and then Uncle Sam chooses for you. Right. And that's kind of how things are run. And so I did, I, you know, put that list and Marine Corps on there. I ended up, you know, going to the Marine Corps. And so after you graduate, you get, uh, what's called basket leave. And, uh, you know, it's kind of 30 days off just to go have a lot of fun and, you know, give your, your last toast to being a college kid. And then you, you get to TBS, which is, you know, uh, at least coming from a naval academy kid, being a uh, a little bit of a rude awakening, um, hmm. getting to getting to the basic school, uh, which is where you start, you know, your first, you know, military training. But I I remember being early, kind of even in the Marine Corps in cybersecurity, uh, when I was I was in the some some summer training, and I w- or actually I was at out of Marine Corps or after a wrestling meet. I was a Division One wrestler at the Naval Academy, so I wrestled uh for the naval academy wrestling team and after one of our matches uh, you know we all go upstairs and they have like an, an alumni dinner and you know representatives from the school come and i remember talking to uh this marine corps major who was clearly like a you know he's like a force reconnaissance guy like dive bubble jump wings you know and he's like have you, did you service select marine corps and i go yes sir you know absolutely service select marine corps he's like well, what are you going to do you know, and and I'm like, I'm thinking about going, you know, communications and the, and the look on his face or intelligence and the look on his face was kind of like, why, what you're, you're, you're on the wrestling team. Right. Kind of thing. Right. Um, And it's, it's just his experience. You know, he was, uh, you know, wanted to be a a gunfighter through and through. And so that, that was his thing and he couldn't understand why, but you know, it, it, I could see it, you know, back then I could see like, kind of, this is going to be a big thing. It's not a big thing yet. You're saying this now, but give it Give it ten years, like this is going to be what everyone is talking about in the Marine Corps, right? And uh, you know, and so I decided, you know, I was going to kind of even shape my Marine Corps career that. So I I became a communications officer, which was the most kind of like data networking thing you could do at the time. Intelligence had signals intelligence, but that was a little bit different than it is now. Now the signal guys become, uh, you know, a lot of the the computer network operations guys. But back then it was. That was not necessarily the case. The comms guys had heavy data, a lot of data going on there, uh, computer networks and things like that. So I chose that and I decided I was going to shape my career kind right. of, you know, on this path.
0: Right. And and maybe go through, give us a couple highlights, Robert, from your time in in a couple of those um, cybersecurity Roles that you ended up in during your Marine Corps service, and then we'll turn to turn to post Marine Corps and, and the decision to become an entrepreneur.
1: So once you're done with the basic school, you go. I went to communication school, right? And you choose your first duty station. I end up in Okinawa, Japan, um, which was a it was a fun choice. I was actually kind of pretty excited about that. Um, and so I, I go out to Okinawa, Japan, and I'm there uh, living living in Japan, and I was part of. A communications company there, uh, and you know I, I get to run a few platoons, be a platoon commander, data platoon, radio platoon. I even was in charge of the satellite communications platoon, which is like completely Sweet. something I know nothing about now. But back then, it was like actually pretty cool. You're setting up these big, huge satellite com, you know, com links. It was uh, it was pr- pretty interesting. And so, you know, I had a pretty unorthodox Marine Corps career path. Hmm. So I I get out there, and everything up until that point is pretty orthodox. Okay, you're a young lieutenant. You go out to a communications company, and you become a platoon commander of one of these different communications platoons. Like Everything is kind of cookie-cutter at that point. Uh, But out of Okinawa at that time, this is 2009, 2010, they were running a lot of these embedded training team programs, ETT programs, Hmm. out to Afghanistan, which I was able to hop on one of these ETT programs. And so I go out to Afghanistan and do in 2010 and do the Marja invasion, the invasion of Marja as an ETT team leader, Hmm. embedded with an Afghan company. And so that was pretty a pretty interesting experience because it was like it was an infantry experience, right? Right. We actually invaded a city and we were just running patrols every day and you know hunting down bad guys and and that's like what I did every day for you know ten months, which. That, that certainly is holding true. Every Marine is a rifleman because that's what we were out there. But it was something that not a lot of people get to do, especially in, in the comm community. Of course, if you're in the infantry community, you get to do it a lot. But uh, in the comm community, it's very rare. So I got to go out there on this ETT. It was a lot of fun. Not a cyber job, but still, nonetheless, it was uh, a really interesting experience. I get back from that. And it's time for me to leave Okinawa and go PCS to my next duty station and I go to this place called uh, the Marine Corps Network and Security Operations Center. They called it the MCNOSC. Um, <laughs> great acronym. And yeah, it, it, the acronym has now changed these days. It's called the MCOG or something like that. The Cyber Operations Group, great acronym again, right? Um, and I remember the MCNOSC uh, because we would see it at TBS. It was this huge building with no windows and double-fenced barbed wire all the way around it, Right. And uh, I remember like running by it on LandNav at TBS, and I, I knew what it was. And I had asked around. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's the McNosk. You know, they do like cybersecurity stuff." Uh, you know. And so I said, "Well, I'll probably, you know, I want to come back and work there someday." And so I look at like the list of things I can change to out of out of Okinawa, and sure enough, you know, the McNosk is on there. And so I put in with my to to my monitor, who's the guy who kind of like runs your career. That I want to go to the McNosk, and of course he's like sweat off my brow. He probably thinks like, "Oh, I had to. I, I, you want to go there? Okay, I'll send you. I, I thought I was going to have to like screw someone over with the McNosk, but you're willing to take the job? Like, go ahead. You're done. Check. Want to move today? You know, it was like that fast. So I go to the McNosk, and that was a great experience. They were running the entire Marine Corps network, global network, both, you know, the secure, classified side and the unclassified side, and. And I was doing computer network defense. I did a lot of red teaming there, which was like hacking our own network in order to uh, make our own network stronger. I got really into cybersecurity there. I got I to gotta let you know, though, I was a little bit motivated when I came back from that ETT on the infantry side. That does have a way of, of inspiring a young, a young Marine officer as well. And so I took a little break during my red team time, and I decided I was going to go assess for Marine Special Forces. I was going to go be a Marine Special Forces operator, and I went to this uh, five week kick in the face, and I passed. And I actually had orders to go assess into the Marsoc after my time at the uh, at the McNosk, and I was actually I was dead set on that's what I wanted to do. I was like, yep, you know, I've really I got into that ETT thing. I really loved it. Now I'm going to go be a MARSOC operator and go to school. So but that wore off after a little while after I was doing the red teaming stuff, like it, it kind of brought me back to this is why I'm in cybersecurity. And and at the end of my tour at the McNOSC, I was I was kind of presented with I, I had three options like I had I had gone to Marsoc assessment and selection. I had passed, so I actually did have orders cut to send me to Marsoc. Right, right. Uh, I had done that, and then I had talked with my CEO at the McNosk, and I and he said, "Well, what would you think about going to the NSA? You know, that seems like it might be a good a good fit for you." I can talk with General Stewart at the time was running Marfor Cyber, who later became the DIA commander, and and uh, he was. You know, the McNoss commander's boss was General Stewart. He goes, why don't I, you know, why don't I reach out to General Stewart and, you know, tell him about you and see if if there's a place over there for you. And so he did. You know, I'm forever indebted for that. He went and he he talked to General Stewart and General Stewart came back and and said, yeah, you know, we've got a place uh, for that guy over here at NSA. And, you know, I made the decision to go, you know, for a variety of different reasons. Uh, I was like, you know, this NSA thing sounds like sounds like what I want to do. Um, and so that's it. I was pulled over to NSA, which created a little bit of monitor hate uh, because the monitors were like, you have these MARSOC orders. Now I'm getting new orders cut for you, like from the top. You know what I mean? Uh, right. You know, saying right. like this guy's going to come over here at NSA, right. which, which, st- which stomped on a few toes, you know, but hey, it's my career. Right. So I was like, yeah, uh, I'm in. So I'll go do the NSA thing. Uh, and, and that was, it ended up being a great decision. So then I left McNosk and I went to the, the national security agency and I picked up what they call cyber protection teams, which were responding to, you know, computer hackers, uh, on U S infrastructure, just, just in general. And so I got to do a lot of work there at NSA, which was, which was exciting work.
0: Right. Right. So, so Robert, I mean, it's, it's just a phenomenal moment in time that as, as For those listeners who um, are are not aware of it, you know, it's often thought that the the heart of the Marine Corps is certainly the infantry and Marine Special Operations Command is is a um, element that is is certainly highly regarded within that, as you're putting it, you know, that's really the tip of the spear. Flash forward to 2021, what we know today is the importance of what you were doing in the mid-2000s as an undergraduate at the Naval Academy, 05, 06, 07, 08, as a getting interested in, in, in cybersecurity, um, computer networks, etc., And that decision that you made to, to go not take your assignment into MARSOC, but instead go to the National Security Agency, then what one can see in your post-Marine Corps time maybe some some foreshadowing of of your time at, at at CrowdStrike a company that was only created in 2011 and now has a market cap of you know maybe 45 billion or more and 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 then becoming an entrepreneur so what what year did you leave the Marine Corps after the NSA time and then make that decision to to take a to take a job at a a, a then and still today very high growth company in CrowdStrike Robert So I left
1: uh, the Marine Corps in at the end of 2015, November, technically end of November 2015. But I I actually left the service, you know, January 1st of 2016. Um, And I decided to to leave for, you know, I had a really great run at at NSA, really exciting. Some of the stuff that we did is still, you know, the standard for what the way things are done today. Uh, over there, although you know things change certainly over time, but uh, you know I decided to leave the the Marine Corps. I just I was coming up on my end of my time too at at NSA, and it was like, well, you know what what am I going to do now, right? How, what am I going to do that I, you know what do I want to do now? So I, I was coming up at my end of my tour, um, and so I was going to you know go somewhere else. And I took a look at those options. I did. I entertained them seriously, and then uh, you know I took a look at the private sector and. Uh, you know, I, I thought that uh, there were some really interesting, like the Mandian APT1 report had just come out. Right. And the, the private sector looked like it was like leading the way in security, uh, hmm. you know, from from what I could see. And it, it was really growing quickly. I had heard about CrowdStrike. I knew about CrowdStrike. And so I, I decided I was going to leave. Uh, and then, you know, I had interviewed at a couple of different companies and CrowdStrike seemed like a great a great fit. It was a little bit younger. Didn't seem quite as mature yet as a company like uh, you know FireEye or uh, Palo Alto or some other you know more more established ones. Although that certainly changed rapidly right over there, things changed rapidly at CrowdStrike over that period of time. But uh, I, and when I interviewed, I really liked the people that worked there. They were great folks as well, and it seemed exciting. So you know what? Hey, I'm in. Right. Uh, and so I, I, I left. I I like early uh, committed to CrowdStrike too. Like I went, you know, I was like six months, five months from actually leaving the Marine Corps, and they sent me a job offer, and I was like, "Sounds good. I'll see you in, you know, see you in like five months." Uh, and they were cool. They were cool with that, you know, and I and I was good with early committing, like that too. And I, I was in, uh, and so I went. Great. Uh, and I got to do some exciting things there, as you know, has been later cataloged, right? Um, and and I was there. You know, for for about a year, now I will tell you, just even in the Marine Corps, I started, you know, reading a lot of books about entrepreneurship, listening to a lot of books on tape and podcasts about entrepreneurship. And I I that really was like getting me excited. I I was very excited about this prospect of creating something from nothing, creating value. And so even as I was leaving the Marine Corps and going into CrowdStrike, I was like constantly, I I constantly just felt like you know, this, that, you know, that should be something I should, I should do, or I should, I should give it a go. Pretty early on, you know, I was there at CrowdStrike about 10, 10 months. And, you know, I started kind of looking around and I really just wanted to do this entrepreneurship thing. I had like, you know, decided in my head, I just felt like I could do it. I almost knew I could do it. I didn't even know what that meant yet, but I just, I just felt like I, you know, I was compelled hmm. to do it. My opportunity cost was nothing. I had no wife, no kids, you know, no no risk really to speak of. And I could always go back into the private sector, I thought, you know, and, and go work for FireEye or something like that later if I if I left and failed, it'd be no big you know, it'd be no big
0: deal. I could your skill sets were your skill sets were now, you know, in twenty sixteen or so, extremely valuable. So you had the you you knew that you could always go back to that world and, and have a, a probably fulfilling career on that side of it. But for some reason, and, and I am w- would love to hear, you know, in, in, in retrospect, if you think what some of those reasons might have been similar to you saying you woke up one day in high school and thought, I've got to go to the Naval Academy, right? Maybe this military thing is for me. Um and both your parents had had been were Marines. I'm I, I don't know if either of them or or some of your close friends were entrepreneurs, but what five years later, Robert, what what was that decision making process to to become an entrepreneur?
1: It, it it's a lot of the same decisions I feel like throughout my career are the same ones that made me become an entrepreneur. Like uh, you know, why did I choose cybersecurity, or why did I just on a whim say I want to go do, you know, Marsoc you know, or, or go to the NSA or, and leave and go to, and go to CrowdStrike. Those, those same thing, it just seemed like, you know, it seemed incredibly exciting, you know, and I, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, uh, but a lot like, uh, you know, Marsock, it seemed like a real gunslinger way to live your life. And it was a little bit of, you know, bravado that like I think brought me uh, attracted me to it. It, it seemed exciting. Like you're generating something from nothing, you know, you're, you're out there, you're just, you're just working and building and there's camaraderie and there's, you know, everything else that you might, that you might want. And I felt like that's what I was looking for. And, and, uh, and I also just knew it was like the right time in my life. I'm like, it's, you know, I even, even on the exit interview, you know, with, with CrowdStrike, they're like, is this a money thing? Is this, is this, you know, I'm like, well, let me tell you, starting a company, is definitely not a money thing in the very beginning. Like you're not leaving to make a right? whole bunch of money when you first start your company day one. That may come later, that comes later, but you know, day one, you're making nothing, sure. right? So it's definitely not a money thing. I just remember my response being like, if I don't do this now, like, I don't know if I'll ever do it actually. If I don't do this now, like uh, just all the different things that happen in life are gonna happen and my situation is gonna change. My mindset is gonna change and Everything will change, and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just knew like at this point in time, I was like, this is it, this is the right time. And so uh I it's not like I just went at, at this willy-nilly either. I knew I wanted to do it, and uh so I I decided I was gonna try and like create an oppor- some opportunity to do it, right? Um, and so uh there was an, an incubator, which you know well, Mach 37, uh the cybersecurity incubator. And they were taking applications and it was a pretty simple, you know, process. You filled out this application and they would give you not a lot of money, but they would give you like, you know, 50,000 bucks and you would uh, 50, 60,000 bucks and you would come to Mach 37 and they would show you how to build a company from scratch. Uh, and they, you know, they give you some money so that you can keep the lights on and, and all those other things. Right. And so uh, I applied to this incubator and I got in. Right. And. Uh, I decided, you know, I, I was like, this is what I need. This is I've created, you know, this opportunity has now been created. Right. And granted, it's just me, like there's, there's no one else, right? It's literally just me. But this opportunity is now created. And, and I took it
0: as a sign <laughs> to to go and, and take right. a chance. That's right. It. And so I, I decided that that's what I want to do. So Robert, at, at, at this time now, five years ago, you're a solo founder, you're a technical founder, you're essentially right out of the military with about a year at, at CrowdStrike afterwards. How did you think about building a team, surrounding yourself with others, bringing on a, a, a co-founder or not? What kinds of complementary skill sets that person might have? Take us back to your mindset as a, as a, a fresh entrepreneur um, back at that time.
1: Yeah, um, you know, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, thoughts running through. You just quit your job. You're a solo founder. You've got no product, no sales, no idea, no marketing, no nothing, right? Or you have an idea because I got a new incubator. Just an idea, though. But nothing, literally nothing else. Barely even a PowerPoint deck, right? And so, you know, nothing. But but hey, this is where I am. Um, and, you know, you what I've noticed about this entrepreneurship thing, too, is you meet so many interesting people, and, and valuable people along the way. And so, you know, I did, I, I, you know, I was so excited about what I was doing, you know, all my friends, I was talking about it, you know, I just quit my job, start this company, I'm so excited, right. And and I would talk about this, and I would go to networking, you know, networking things, and and talk about how excited I was. And so I, I met now my, my co-founder, Tim, who, uh, you know, kind of, he, I, I feel like he you know, he needed the same thing I did. Right. Um, and for him, it was a little bit later on in life, but he was working at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, you know, and, and he was, you know, in cybersecurity. He actually was at NSA as well, though we didn't know each other. NSA is a pretty big place. Um, but, you know, he he kind of had that same need, you know, for for job satisfaction that entrepreneurship was, I think, the solution for him. Right. And, and it takes a lot. Like I, I still honestly, I give him a lot of credit today to, you know, meeting a guy at a networking event, like at the Army Navy Club and like sparking up a friendship, sitting down and talking to him saying, like, I want to be part of this business to him quitting his job and saying, I'm in on this business. Let's do it right yeah. to where we are today. Right. Like, and I and I sometimes often I even I think about it because we're just so caught up in the day to day that I don't remember know, how much how much credit I really need to give him for, you know, taking that uh, that leap of faith and 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 doing that. It's just incredible. Like I, I almost look back at it on it now and I'm like, that was irresponsible. <laughs> you know, that was very irresponsible for you to do that. Uh, but, you know, we did it right. And then and then so we go into this incubator and we start doing, uh, you know, start building, trying to build a product and build a company and raise a little bit of money and And then we were able to get some people to buy it. Right. And, and then we keep making changes to it and making it better. And we did apparently just enough to get a little bit more money to make it a little bit better. And then, you know, things, things just started getting bigger and better and bigger and better and more money and more money and bigger and better. And then they just keep growing, you know, kind of growing and growing and growing. And then, and then, you know, here we are today,
0: 2021. Right. Right. And, you built this company in in the the washington dc area what what was that like as a as a, a new entrepreneur just drawing technical talent in in the early days and more go to market business development marketing um talent more more recently and how have you thought has your thinking changed on Geography being important or not, with uh, with the world we live in today, after you know a year of working from home.
1: Yep. So DC has got a lot of cybersecurity talent. There's also a lot of competition from an employer perspective because there's a lot of companies looking to scoop up that that security uh, the security talent. We are uniquely positioned in a lot of ways, I think, in DC. That one, it is a hip hip place to live. Like uh, a lot of the developers that that come even, you know, what you would call senior developers, they're actually pretty young guys. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty young and they want to live, you know, in a hip place. Right. And, and DC provides that. Right. So it's, it's an exciting place to live and work for employees. There's a couple catalysts to that. There's a lot of universities in the area, you know, you got American, Georgetown, GW, George Mason. Right. So, so you've got a lot of, uh, academia here. And, you know, the academia, they have engineering schools, and computer science schools, and even cybersecurity. And so they're kind of producing, you know, a back funnel of, of, it, you know, employees that will want to go into, into jobs like this. You do have government agencies like the NSA and, and uh, organizations like that, that are producing kind of the same type of people uh, that, that are good, great for a cybersecurity company to hire and, and employ. And so it is, I think a pretty, probably, unrecognized ecosystem of building, you know, a security company, yes, but also just kind of a tech company in general. Right. There is there is opportunity here, I think, for for building that. Right. Um, and so the bulk of our employees are certainly here in the D.C. Maryland and Virginia area. Uh, but I will tell you that the pandemic, you know, we used to say, okay, we want to build a company here in the in this community. Um, you do begin to run out of talent at some point, right? Uh, it, especially in different kind of sec- sectors, and and the pandemic certainly has changed our philosophy on that. And and now we've got employees in you know Georgia, Utah, Massachusetts, right, right. Texas, so all over all over the country. Um, and that does allow a couple of things. It it doesn't. I think it, it opens up the talent pool, and it and it gets you. It can get you better quality people and. In, in the long run. Like, it, it, I mean, it just makes logical sense as you open up that aperture, you know, you, you get more qualified applicants and then you can get a guy that you like that much more, you know, or is that much better that much more experienced uh, at, at doing, you know, whatever that job is going to be. And so we have certainly opened that up uh, and the pandemic has, you know, ha- has been a major catalyst to that decision, right? It's It's, you know, we no longer necessarily need to come into the office all the time right people are working over zoom you know very effectively and they're doing their jobs very effectively and and uh we're getting great people to come work for us and that's very exciting
0: and 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 how about the you know at lumen snapshot in time today that that's terrific that you're getting that that continued level of talent that that believes in the company and 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 the mission what what where are you in terms of you know bet Back from those early days, you've you've refined what exactly the company does, and your um, customer count has has increased uh, rapidly o- over time as well. What what has the experience been like with your your customers, your your clients through um, through through this time of, of COVID, and now hopefully in in this post COVID world, Robert? You know many businesses.
1: Across the world, you know, experienced extremely negative impacts from from you know COVID and the resulting policies that were put in place. That came from COVID. We were definitely fortunate that our industry, um, you know, wasn't negatively impacted. There's a couple of reasons for that. Like we are mission critical software. It's very compliance driven. Um, The economy took a hit, but not really that big of a hit. uh, and and certainly things kept well above above water for the most part across our you know customer base and so um, you know we we were very lucky we could have easily uh, you know been in an industry that was significantly or seriously impacted like hospitality or for the restaurant industry like that could have you know somehow easily been us I feel like so we we did get lucky the industry that we we're in was I feel like not impacted or not affected. Uh, very negatively. So things continue to grow for us throughout the pandemic. And we're, I, you know, I feel very fortunate for that. I feel very lucky for that. I, you know, I've told my employees a couple of times, even on our all hands calls, like, you know, Hey, we should all feel very lucky right now that, you know, our business continues to thrive and continues to do well, and we can support our customers the way we want to. um, And that we weren't, you know, negatively impacted because not everyone in the U S can say what I'm saying right right now. So don't take it for granted. Feel very fortunate about you know where we are and what we're doing, right? Right, Uh, and so that that you know I think we we got we got lucky in that regard. But our our decision to you know open it up and accept employees all over the place, uh, you know, has has helped us get a lot of talent. And for some stuff, honestly, it just makes sense. Like sales, you know, a lot of the the team in sales has regional territories. Well, it's pretty hard to sell to that regional territory if you don't live in that regional territory, right? So some of it. Makes a little bit of
0: common sense, sure. Sure. right? Sure. No, that thanks, Robert. This has all been been terrific. As as we move to to wrap up here in the next couple of minutes, let, let's put a put a finer point on both what you learned from your time in the military or experiences that. Five years into, you know, at Lumen and and having had a ton of success now, um, things that that put you ahead that your military experience benefited. And then on the other hand, what where did you have to to fill in gaps or what were challenges coming from your military background um, on your road to becoming a a entrepreneur and a very successful one?
1: The military helped a lot, Uh, but there was definitely some some gaps.
0: I will tell you that
1: in the early days, if it's just you, there's not a lot of uh, leadership component to this um, in the very early days. But that that quickly becomes history as your team gets larger, and there is, you know, a a significant management and 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 leadership component to that. And um, you know, I feel like the military did prepare me for that at a much younger age than most than most. And the reason for that is, you know, at 22 years old, they were like, here's 60 people that work for you. You're their platoon commander, you know, and you're, you're, you know, success or failure, like you're in charge of them. And so it, it definitely um, it gives you leadership from a very young age and leadership can be, it is not like an innate thing that you are born with. It It is really, it's a taught skill, right? It can absolutely hundred percent be a taught skill and it is a taught skill and the marine corps teaches that starting at you know 21 22 years old where everyone's going to get that at some point probably during their career but having it at 22 i think prepares you to be a successful entrepreneur at 33 as opposed to maybe 43 or 53 you know to to some of your contemporaries right so at 33 you know you're ready to be the man in the arena like the the the, the center of it all right whereas you know your contemporaries, maybe that weren't in the military, didn't get those leadership roles until much later on in life. Um, it also helped with, uh, I think, you know, just structuring things like methodically. They do teach you things in the military, like planning processes. Uh, you know, if you remember that old algorithm, McPP, and osmiac Like, I wouldn't say that I use these these exact, uh, you know. Terms and and like that exact osmiac you know five paragraph order format for anything we do, but having these things kind of ingrained in your in your brain as if you're going to plan something like logically in your head like these are the things that you need to put it put into place and think about before you go do something. I think these things just kind of happen naturally now, and this is the way that my you know, my, my, my brain works when it's when I'm structuring some kind of big decision or something we're going to do. Like I kind of walk through this process. Right. And so it did it did help um, in that regard. So it certainly helped with leadership. It certainly helped with a little bit of grit. Right. Just a little bit of grit, a little bit of fortitude, you know, overcoming adversity, handling stress and risk. These are all things that uh, you do a lot of, uh, you know, in, in the Marine Corps and definitely the things that I did in the Marine Corps. You know, some of them were very, very, very stressful, and certainly, uh, you know, taught me how to handle stress and risk. Uh, And a lot of them were very serious, like you know, the the hack of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, where you know this is a very serious thing, and people are looking at you to handle this serious thing. They're trusting you to handle this very serious thing and make it and make it be okay. And so, you know, there's a lot of riding on your shoulders when when that responsibility falls to you, right? And so, you know that that helped a lot i would say some gaps there's one thing in the marine corps that i noticed that you know you have no concept of resources mm-hmm. in in the military right. there are, you you have unlimited resources right so there's there's no concept of you know how much money is it going to take to go do this do i have that much money right can i invest in this can i do this right so there there's no resource limit when when you're when you're in the military so you you have no concept of of having to get a job done, but saying like, I have a budget to this job. I only have so much, so much in resources that I can apply to this. So I better, I better spend my resources wisely (laughs) um, in in order to get the job done. There's very little, uh, you know, of that in in the military. You don't care about your paycheck. You know, that's coming on the first and the 15th. You don't care about, you know, spending money. You either have it or you don't. It's a yes or a no. It's not, and and if it if it's a no, it's can we go get it because there's an unlimited pot of money somewhere that can just funnel down. And it's true, there isn't a limited <laughs> pot of money somewhere in the military. And so, you know, if it if they need it bad enough, it's going to arrive, right. guaranteed. So, you know that that is that is not something that, especially in the early days, in entrepreneurship, that you have you have finite amount of resources, and you've got to keep you've got to keep the train going, right? Right. Um, right. Yep. and how, how you manage manpower is another one too you know in the military like you are given you are given an, a, a workforce your you know your employees are sent to you you have very little role in selecting you know what individuals are sent to you you also have very little role in training the individuals that are sent to you there's a school pipeline that you know that trains these people before they ever get put on your team or in your platoon Um and at the same time, they, you know, it's kind of like the people you were, you were given and work with, um, you know, they can't quit either. There's no leaving. There's no like right. quitting in the military. Right. Like there's none of that, right? Like it's, oh, you don't want to be here. I, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. Go back to your office. Right. right? Um, and so that, you know, it's, it's a lot different, uh, you know, run, running a company. Right. So you've got to worry about other things and do other things to make you know, people want to stay and provide growth and incentives. And it's not that those things aren't important in the military, but they certainly are less important. They certainly are less important when the external forces that can negatively impact you
0: aren't there. Right. 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 Um that and so that that is another difference. Terrific. Robert, this has been this has been fantastic. Thank you for sharing both your own personal and professional story as well as your time in the military and and the where that set you up well and and what challenges you had to overcome during your during your um, the the time to become an entrepreneur and then you know these last five years of of you know now five years later great great success and and th- there were ups and downs along the way and as, as you pointed out some of the leadership skills and and grit from from that military experience. Probably we' we're, 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 we're good to lean on. so thank you for for joining frontline founders and um, have have a good one. Thanks again Robert.
1: Yeah thanks same to you.